turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, as we are just studying through the Word of God. And if you remember from our previous study last week in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter is writing to persecuted Christians in churches located in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and the whole reason for this letter is to encourage them in the faith, not to give up, but to have this steadfast endurance as they're going through these tough times, and also to live a life that's pleasing to God, to have godly behavior in spite of all that they were facing. And we looked at, so far, the salvation of the believer, and that's really in First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 12. And we broke it down into salvation in First Peter 1, through uh, verse 12. And again, that is an important topic. What is salvation? There's so many people have so many ideas how we get to heaven. But Peter tells us very plainly in this section that God has saved us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And this salvation is incorruptible. It's undefiled. It's never going to fade away. You cannot lose your salvation once you come to Christ. Now, I know some are taken back by that because they feel you can lose your salvation if you don't do certain things or if you do other things that are wrong. Again, you can lose your salvation. That's how they feel. But Peter, in encouraging these believers, wants them to understand, and God wants us to understand, that can never happen. You think, well, how could you be so confident? How could you be so sure? Because in 1 Peter 1.5, Peter said that we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Who keeps us? God does. Now again, if it was based on my good works, if it was based on what I could do, I would have no hope. But I can have hope in Christ, because he's the one that saves me. And he keeps us through his power, not through the power of our good works, like I said. And then he he goes on to speak about um, various or multi-faceted uh, uh, trials that were, they were experiencing. And how God uses trials in our lives to help us to grow. They were growing in the Lord. And I love what he says in, in verse 9 of 1 Peter 1. What's the end result of all this? Well, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thank you, Lord. You, I'm kept by your power, and the end result is I'm going to be in glory one day. Well, then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through chapter 2, verse 12, it speaks of our sanctification. And Peter opens up that section in verse 13 with the word therefore. And the idea here is that all that Peter spoke about previously, he's now going to make application to our lives from the spiritual truths he's just talked about. He talks about girding up our loins of our mind to be sober, to rest our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. We're not to conform ourselves to the former lusts as in our ignorance, but as he who has called us holy, we also need to be holy in all our conduct because it's written, be holy for I'm holy. Don't put yourself under the influence of anything that the God of this world, the devil, is trying to influence you with. He wants you to sin to take you away from God, to go back to the old life. He can't, destroy, or he can't steal away your salvation, but he can destroy your witness. And we need to be careful. That intimacy with God could be lost. Now, as we continue on in our study of 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to move into the second division of this letter that deals with the submission of the believer. In 1 Peter 2, verse 13 through chapter 3, 12, Again, everyone's so excited about submission, right? Yay, you got to submit. Yeah, it's not an easy section. Lord, help us, right? So let's pick up uh, as we deal again with the salvation of the believer and specifically sanctifications. First Peter 2, verse 1. This is what Peter wrote. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. And again, he uses the word therefore, and it points us back to what he was talking about before in regards to the word of God. Remember in verses 23 through 25 of 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. He said, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the, by the gospel was preached to you. 
Okay, Peter's saying, since we are born again by the power of God's spirit working through the word of God, we need to put away, we need to eliminate these things from our lives that will cause division between believers. It will keep us out of God's word. Laying aside is a word that speaks of stripping off soiled or filthy garments. That's a good thing to do, right? Who wants to walk around in filthy garments? And as one pastor said, the degree to which those attributes exist in our lives will be the degree to which our hunger for the word will be diminished. No matter how good the meal my wife, Tammy, prepares for me, if I stop off at McDonald's on the way home and score a couple of quarter pounders with large fries and supersize the whole deal, when I get home, I won't be interested in what she's made. Absolutely. You know, when people stop reading or studying God's word, it's because they're taking on a lot of junk food from the world. And Peter's saying, lay aside that junk and desire the pure milk of God's word. We're a new creation in Christ. Our life should be different. And again, we're not going to be perfect, but Peter's saying, get rid of these things. Take off these filthy clothes of uh, malice, you know, doing harm to someone else, desiring to do harm, deceit, dishonesty, hypocrisy. You know, hypocrisy spoke of an actor who wore a mask, and it came to mean someone who's not genuine. As Christians, we're to be genuine. That shouldn't be part of our lives, this hypocrisy. Envy is just speaking of uh, resentment because of what someone else has. Evil speaking is just defaming the character of another person. And really, you could put all in front of each of those. And yeah, we do try to justify our actions, why we behave that way, but no. Put these things aside. Don't hold on to them. So we are to remove these things. Well, what are we to put on? Well, look at verse 2 here in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You know, cast those things out the, and take in the pure, uncontaminated, unadulterated word of God. Why? So we can grow, so we can mature in the faith. You know, when does a newborn baby want to eat? All the time. I mean, they pretty much eat and sleep, right? We have to have a hunger for God's word like that. How are we going to grow in the Lord if we don't know what he wants for our lives? And, you know, the reality is, a lot of the things that God says, we, would, we don't want to have anything to do with. Why? Because it goes against our flesh. And there is that battle between the flesh and the spirit. But when God shows us these things, he's opening it up to us by his spirit. He wants us to act upon it. And I think that's important. I mean, we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that he's gracious, and we should want more and more of him. But the devil likes to come in with the garbage food. And, oh, this is really good. And it's not. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Oh, having that passion for God's word. I mean, maybe you've lost some of that. Remember when you first got saved. I remember when I first got saved and the first time I went to Calvary Chapel of Elk Grove and Pastor Phil, my pastor, was teaching. And I never heard the word of God taught like that. I've never heard the word of God taught, period. And it was just like more. I was a sponge. And I still want to learn more and more. Why? Because I'm learning about my Lord and Savior. And he's showing me things about myself that I need to change so I could be more like him. How are we going to guard ourselves against the devil's lives? lies? The only way we're going to be able to guard ourselves is by knowing the truth, desiring and feeding upon the pure milk of God's word. I think that is so important in, our, in the days we're living in. I mean, you've, I've talked to enough people, and I know personally myself, 
I mean, I don't watch the news anymore because it's just aggravating. But you know what's really interesting? When I'm reading God's word, I don't get aggravated. You know what? There's a peace. There's comfort. There's joy. There's excitement. Wow, I've read that like a hundred times. I never saw that before. Thank you, Lord, for showing that to me. Do you see the difference? What the world has for you, the world wants to push your buttons, and it does a great job, doesn't it? But God wants to build you up. He wants you to mature. He wants you to grow in the faith. Look what Peter goes on to say here in verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 2. He wrote, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And again, this is important for us to remember. When we come to Jesus, as Peter speaks of here in 1 Peter 2.4 and feeding on the word of God, as Peter just spoke of, they're one and the same. He's the word, and he speaks to us through the word. And then he speaks about us as being a living stone, being built up into a spiritual house. That's interesting, because Paul in Ephesians 2, verses 20 through 22, wrote this. He said, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Wow. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And we always think about, you know, the tabernacle, the temple, where in the Holy of Holies was um, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, and God dwelt above the mercy seat, a Shekinah glory was shining forth in that Holy of Holies. But let me give you a little perspective. Each of us are a Holy of Holies, if you think about it, because the Holy Spirit is in us. Does that blow your mind away? Wherever we go, we're taking God with us. And wherever we stand becomes holy ground in a sense. And this is a continual relationship we have with God. You know, you read a book and it's, it's great for reading it once. And sometimes you'll read a book twice, but that's pretty much it. But when you come to God and you're reading his word, you could read it a thousand times. And the Holy Spirit will continue to show you things you need to know. And as Peter said, you need to be reminded of these things. Why? Because we forget them all the time especially when we're going through difficult times in our lives. And we will. If you're not going through one now, you will. And I'm sure you have in the past. And it's during those difficult times we kind of forget about what God has said in his word. Now, I was talking with someone yesterday who just felt that she lost God, that God is no longer with her. I said, well, you're a Christian. Yeah. I said, the Bible says that I will... The Lord says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The Bible says that God can't love you anymore, and that love can never be taken away. You're going by emotions, by feelings. And have you ever been wrong with your feelings? Absolutely. But God never lies. He can't lie. And so you have to trust on what God has said in his word and not how you feel. Because there's going to be difficult times you go through where you feel, God, you feel like a million miles away. Is that true? No. Why? Because he's dwelling in us by his spirit. So I can't go by my feelings. I've got to trust what God says. And you know what that does? That kind of encourages me. Well, Lord, thank you that you're always with me. I'm going to trust what you say and not listen to what the guy in the red leotards is saying to me. How important. And really, this intimate relationship with God, this is something that the Jews could not understand. It's what they desired is that intimate relationship. But they were approaching God through the law, and they knew they blew it. And so the only person who could enter into the presence of God was the high priest. And only once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And he went in 
with a rope around his foot. He had bells on his robe. And he went in with the blood to offer sacrifice for himself and for the people. And if those bells stopped ringing, they would pull him out because God struck him dead. And he wouldn't go in there and sit down and spend time with God. He'd go in there, place the blood on the mercy seat, and he'd be out. We can boldly come before the throne of God. His throne of grace, not the throne of the law, but his grace through Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul in Ephesians 2.18 says, For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. What an amazing thing. I think that's something that, that Paul, it bothered Paul so much that Stephen had this intimate relationship with God. He was talking to him. It's something that Paul wanted, but he knew he could never have until he got saved. And Peter is telling us that the Lord is building a spiritual temple, not with stones or bricks, but living stones. What does that mean? It means you and me. In 1 Kings 6, 7, as Solomon's temple was being built, we're told, and the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry, so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. That's amazing when you think about what this temple looked like. The stones that they used. And maybe as you're going through life right now, you feel like you're getting hammered, right? You feel like another chip off the whole block is being taken off. You have to understand what the Lord is doing. He's working on us down here in the quarry of life, hammering and chipping away. Why? So when we get to heaven, there's no sound of a hammer or chisel. We're going to fit in perfectly. God is working in our lives. And the wonderful thing is what Paul said in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you, he's going to complete it. We tend to think of God like us. You know, we start a project, we put it on the side. You know, three years later, we go, oh man, I need to finish that. And we may start it, it, it never gets done. And God says, no, I started this work in you. And I am going to complete it. And I'm so thankful for that. That he doesn't give up on me. He doesn't go, you know, Joe, I pretty much had it up to here with you. He doesn't say that. He says, I love you so much that I will never stop working in your life. And that's each and every one of us. Look at verse 6. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Peter is quoting out of Isaiah 28, 16, Psalm 118, 22. And think about this. You know, Peter was a fisherman. Untrained, uneducated man, that's what people thought about them. And yet Peter's quoting out of the Old Testament scriptures, and that means he had to memorize them. You know, we get our phones out and we, you know, talk to our phones and say, where's this verse at? And it gives it to us. They didn't even have books like we think about today. They had scrolls. The scroll of Isaiah. Have you ever seen what the scroll of Isaiah looks like in, in Israel? It's huge. So can, and, the, and they didn't have verses and chapters. Oh my gosh, you know. Let's see, I think it's in the beginning somewhere. We've got to unroll the scroll. Peter knew the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit opened them up to Peter to apply them to Jesus. And I think Peter is telling us, like in 1 Peter 3.15, that we need to grow, mature in the Lord. We need to understand these things. He said, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready to defend what you believe. We need to be men and women of the word. Paul in 2 Timothy 2.15 
Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Cutting it straight. You know, the scriptures aren't for our own private interpretation. God knows what he's talking about. We just need to listen. And yet today, you know, you listen to some of these guys. Oh my gosh, they are not rightly dividing the word. They are all over the place coming up with their own ideas. No, we're to rightly divide the word of God and apply it to our lives. And who is the chief cornerstone? It's Jesus Christ. He's not only the plumb line that keeps us, the building in line that keeps us in line, but he is that cornerstone and it keeps the whole structure solid, secure. And for the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day, they rejected him. Why? Because they rejected the word of God. You know, we think, you know, that the word of God didn't talk about Jesus. The Old Testament scriptures didn't. Of course they did. They talked about the Messiah. Starts in Genesis chapter 3, goes all the way on to Malachi. Why didn't they believe? Because what Jesus did was what the Old Testament scriptures spoke about the Messiah. Remember John the Baptist? John is in in prison, right? Right? And he tells his disciples, go and ask Jesus if he is the one. If he's the Messiah, or should we look for somebody else? So disciples of John go to Jesus, are you the one? And what's interesting is what Jesus tells these disciples of John. He says, go tell John that the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak. What was the point? He was reminding them that this is what the Old Testament scriptures spoke about the Messiah. And you've never seen this happen in any other period of history. I'm the one. You go tell John that the scriptures testify of me. In fact, Jesus talked to the religious leaders and said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life. But these, are what talk, or these scriptures are what talk about me. They point to Jesus, but they didn't see it. Why? Because they didn't want to lose their position within, with Rome. Yeah, that was pretty much it. They didn't like Jesus because he was more popular than they were. How sad. They rejected the rock, Jesus, and he became a rock of offense to them. And that's true of everyone who rejects Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 44, and whoever falls on the stone will be broken, but whoever, whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Ugh. Before we come to Christ, don't we have to be broken? Broken of our self-will, our pride. I'm a good person, I can do it. And we have to be broken of that. But if you reject Jesus, the rock is going to, grind you to a powder. You're going to lose out in the end. If you believe in Jesus, man, you'll never be put to shame. And in the Greek, it's written in a double negative, which means it could never happen. You're the Lord's, you're Jesus, and no one can take that away. Thank you, Lord. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.6, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Thank you. He's the chief cornerstone. Psalm 118, verses 22 through 24. The the stumbling stone of Isaiah 8.14. Foundation stone of Isaiah 28.16. The supernatural stone of Daniel 2, verses 34 and 45. And he's the rock that gave Israel water in the wilderness, according to 1 Corinthians 10.4. And I love Deuteronomy thirty-two, thirty-one. For their rock is not like our rock. Yeah, there is no, no other God or person who is like our God, Jesus Christ. No rock like our Jesus. Praise God for that. Look at verse 9 here in 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people 
that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. The things that once exclusively belonged to Israel, their election, chosen, priesthood, calling, are not just Israel's property anymore, alone. They're the property of every Christian. And I think that's why one of the reasons also that I think Peter is writing primarily to Gentile Christians, they were not God's people, but now in Christ they are. See, all these things belong to the children of Israel, but now they belong to all who receive Jesus, both Jew and Gentile. Chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, having obtained mercy, the mercy of God. And now, since we received all that, we're to go out and proclaim what God has done in our lives. Let people see what he's done in our lives. Now, Paul in 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17, put it like this. He said, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone who is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Now Paul's just got to say, man, let it be, this is awesome. Praising God for all that he's done. Warren Worsby summed it up like this, he said, All these privileges carry with them one big responsibility, revealing the praises of God to a lost world. The verb translated show forth means to tell out, to advertise. Because the world is in the dark, people do not know the excellencies of God, but they should see them in our lives. Each citizen of heaven is a living advertisement for the virtues of God and the blessings of the Christian life. Our lives should radiate the marvelous light into which God has graciously called us. After all, we have obtained mercy from God. Were it not for his mercy, we would be lost and on the way to eternal judgment. But God reminded Israel many times that he had delivered them from the bondage of Egypt, that they might glorify and serve him. But the nation soon forgot, and the people drifted back into their sinful ways. We are God's chosen people only because of his mercy. And it behooves us to be faithful to him. We are living in enemy territory. And the enemy is constantly watching us, looking for opportunities to move in and take over. As citizens of heaven, we must be united. We must present to the world a united demonstration of what the grace and mercy of God can do. As I write these words, the newspapers are reporting dissensions among the men who serve with the President of the United States. Please understand this was written many years ago. These men are not presenting a united front, and the nation is a bit uneasy. I wonder what the unsaved people think when they see the citizens of heaven and the servants of God fighting among themselves. That's an interesting point, especially, like I said last time, in the days we're living in, it's crazy. But here's the good news, guys. Where there's Christ, there's hope. And so we should be the ones that have the most hope in the entire world. Remember when David went after Goliath, right? Where was his hope? In himself, in his slingshot? No, in God, the living God, who the enemy was coming against. What were the children of Israel doing? They were hiding. They were cowering. Goliath would come out and they were terrified of this giant. And rightly so, he's a giant. Let's apply that today. Look at our numbers. And look at the number of the enemy. And many Christians are cowering and hiding. I heard one say, you know, we all need to move to Republican states. I'm like, are you kidding me? 
What are you talking about? Maybe we should just get an island somewhere. No, we know where we're going, right? We're going to heaven. No one could take that away from us. We're in the hands of God. Our mission, no matter what happens, is to proclaim the good news. And so we have to have that hope. We have to have that joy. Yeah, do I like what's going on? Do I like the immorality? Absolutely not. But I love the person so much that I want to see him saved. Oh, that they could never get saved. I'm sure a lot of people thought of that with, with Saul, that he would never get saved. In fact, after he got saved, they were still concerned that he was tricking them, that he was trying to find out where the Christians were. Yeah, the most wicked person can get saved. And all I have to do to be reminded of that is look in my mirror. Yeah, God saved me. He can save anyone. Well, as Peter moves on here, he's going to encourage them to live out their faith and to avoid those things that would discredit what they say they believe. Look at verse 11 here in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Sojourners, pilgrims, that's what we are. The word for sojourner in the Greek means alongside the house. One writer put it like this, he said, the word came to denote denote any person who lives in a country not his own and is therefore a foreigner. The term fits Christians who do not belong to this world system, but live alongside those who do. Absolutely. And pilgrim is just a Greek word that applies to a person who's traveling through a country, but who has settled down briefly to live among the native population. Again, that's us. We're pilgrims. We're sojourners. We're aliens. We're strangers in this world. We're just passing through. And God has us on a mission here. We're ambassadors for Christ. This is not our home. And Peter is admonishing them, abstain from the fleshly lusts, the things that this world is using to lure you away from God. Don't go down that path. Be wise. Don't let them have a hold on you because we're not of this world. We're just passing through. In fact, the word abstain is literally saying we had to hold oneself constantly back from. How true that is. It is a constant battle today. And there is such a, a tug to pull us back into this world. So we have to keep our eyes upon Jesus. Or as Paul said in Hebrews, we have to anchor ourselves in Jesus, so we don't drift away. And I think, you know, I, I've told many people this over the years. Every Christian needs to do this. They need to be in the Word of God. They need to spend time in prayer with God. And they need to be in fellowship with other believers. Why? Because it keeps us accountable. Iron sharpens iron, especially in these days we're living in. Remember the story of Lot, who decided Sodom was the place he wanted to live? And Peter tells us in 2 Peter 2 that Lot was righteous. And he, he was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Think, wow, I would never have gotten that by reading Genesis. Peter is informing me he was a righteous man. He was a good man. And he was being tormented daily. But the world had such a hold on him that when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels had to pull him out. I think some Christians today, that's where we're at. This is our home. Lord, I've got, I'm amassing things. I've got this. i got that. I'm the government's trying to take this all away from me and we're holding on tight. All that stuff's going to perish. Who are you holding on to? Jesus. It needs to be him. Why? We are to live in such a way that our lights shine so brightly 
that when they see the things that we're doing, that they glorify our God in heaven. It's a witness to them. We don't want to give the enemies of God fuel for their fire of disbelief. It's something, you know, when they had the so-called riots, and I'm not going to get into all that down in Washington, uh, D.C., but I thought, you know, please don't have this rally because this is a setup. And what happened? It was a setup. And it was really hard for me to share with my brothers that that wasn't Christians that did that. That was other groups that came in. He didn't want to hear anything about that because it was a bad witness now. We need to just be wise. We're aliens and strangers. We're pilgrims and sojourners in this world. This is not our home. As much as I love America, this is the greatest country in the world, and I know a lot of bad things are going on right now, but it's still the greatest country in the world. But I have a greater place that's my home, and it's called heaven. And it's with a greater king. It's called, he's called Jesus. And so, Lord, use me to the fullest. I'm not going to pull my hair out. I can't afford to. What I'm going to do in the midst of all this stuff that's going on, and I don't understand how God is going to use this, but here's what I can do. Lord, what are you going to do in the midst of this? How are you going to handle this? I saw what you did with David. He was one guy with five stones, slingshot, and took out the giant, cut off his head, which I can't imagine how much that weighed as he's carrying it around. Can God do that today? Absolutely. Let's trust in him. Let's trust in him. You know, in the early church, many Christians were falsely accused of of great crimes. Uh, The pagans said that the communion of Christians, when they partook of it, they were eating the flesh and drank the blood of a baby in a cannibalistic ritual. That was what was going around. At the Gapi feasts were nothing more than wild orgies. That's what they were saying. And because they didn't participate in society's uh, immoral entertainment, they were antisocial. And you know what? That fake news fell apart. Now we can try and put out all the wildfires of what people are talking and saying about us. But let's just shine for Jesus. You see, as these Christians were living out their lives, the people saw, hey, they They're not acting like that. They're not doing those things. They didn't have to put out those fires. They just needed to live their life. That's what we need to do. Live in such a way that by our actions, we not only glorify our Father in heaven, but we're witnesses to unbelievers. Well, here in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13 now, going all the way to chapter 3, verse 12, uh, the focus is the submission of the believer. And again, when I say submission, that's a tough word, right? Well, let's look what Peter says here. Verse 13, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as servants of God. Honor all the people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, again, Peter opens up again with this word, therefore, and he's trying to make an application based on what he's just said. What did he just say? Well, he said, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, live that way. Live accordingly. Don't be in rebellion. And again, you know, people want to know, you know, what the will of God is. And we're looking for exciting things, right? And then 
Peter tells us, submit yourself to government. Be a good citizen. Do you have some whiteout that I can erase that? Because I don't like that one. But this is from the heart of God. Now, again, we have to understand the totality of this. Um, you know, some people feel that our, our nation, with its immorality, um, the you know, look at the tax dollars that are spent on ungodly things, evil things, and then how some people respond to government officials. And this is something I learned a few years back when President Obama was in office, because I would, you know, not say nice things about him. I put jokes on Facebook that were putting him down. And the Lord showed me, you don't have to agree with everything he's doing but you have to respect his position as president of the United States. That was a hard one for me to swallow because I ju- tried to justify that before God, what I was doing. You never win, but you can try. I did, and I didn't win, which is a good thing. We don't have to agree with everything that they say or do, and we don't. But again, the position and our witness to others. You see, are we any different than the actions of the unsaved when we behave like this? No. We need to be careful. Now, I know some feel our government is much worse than it was in Peter's day when Rome was in charge. I disagree. Just look at Rome. Are we bad? Yeah, the government is horrible here, but it wasn't that good in Rome either. They weren't a friend to Christians. And yet, Peter says, obey the laws of the land. Jesus even said to pay taxes. That's, that's an interesting one. If he didn't say that, I mean, I think we could justify not paying taxes because how our tax dollars are spent. But they're also spent on good things like you know, roads and other things that we need, police and so on. Titus said in Titus, or Paul said in Titus 3, verses 1 and 2, remind them to be subject to, the, to rulers and authorities, to obey to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. And we all know Romans 13, 1 through 7, just submitting ourselves or subjecting ourselves to the governing authorities. Why? Because God placed them there. And that's an interesting thought. God placed them there. And for me, and this is just me personally, I'm not a big one for you know, protesting and carrying signs and you know, doing sit-ins or causing trouble. I don't think that's what God has called me to do. We are to obey the law of the land as long as the law doesn't make us do something that goes against what God says. For instance, if there was a law that said women have to have an abortion, they can only have X number of children. No, now I obey God rather than man because this goes against God's word. And it's interesting because as bad as Rome was, and immorality, I mean, Rome rotted from the inside. It wasn't destroyed from the outside. But it brought to the ancient world a sense of security and peace that it never had before. Think about our nation. Look at the peace we've enjoyed for how many years. We're starting to see things rock a little bit. But boy... Back then, you know, for the most part, they cleared in, for, uh, in Paul's day and uh, they cleared uh, the seas of pirates and the roads from pirates also and thieves. Civil wars were replaced with peace. Yeah. In fact, one historian, and this is what he wrote, it was the glory of the Roman Empire that it brought peace to a troubled world. Under its sway, the regions of Asia Minor and the East enjoyed tranquility and security to an extent and for a length of time unknown before and probably since. This was the Pax Romana. The person under Roman authority found himself in a position to conduct his business, provide for his family, send his letters, and make his journeys in security thanks to the strong hand of Rome. Now again, things are changing in this country. And right now, we pretty much have the freedom to share Jesus, to teach from the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Is that going to change? I think it will. I, you know, we, we see the, some of the laws that they want to pass. 
And if they do get passed, it's very likely that at some point they're going to say you cannot teach against homosexuality anymore. I'm sorry, I am going to obey God rather than man. I don't hate homosexuals. I love homosexuals. They need Jesus just like I love everyone else. That's the key. They need Jesus. And we need to remember that. You know, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are placed in prison by the Jewish religious leaders for sharing their faith, for uh, telling people about Jesus, and for healing a man who was lame from birth by the power of Jesus. And the religious leaders gathered around Peter and John, questioning them by what power they were doing these things. Who gave you the right to do these things? How do you think they responded? No, today, what would we do? I need Johnny Cochran right away. We've got to call a lawyer, right? There are the newspapers. The injustices that are being done has to be told. We put a video on Facebook or YouTube. That's not what Peter and John did. It's interesting. They use this. I mean, they're before the religious leaders who had a lot of power, right? They use it as an opportunity to share their faith, to bring them, these religious leaders, the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't let the opportunities pass you by. You may have been wronged tremendously, but use the opportunity to shine for Jesus. And here's the thing. We cannot legislate Christianity. You know, we think if we get the right man in and we pass the right laws, everything is going to be fine. No. You know why? Because the heart of man is wicked. We want to make this nation a Christian nation. That's the wrong, that's putting the cart in front of the horse. We need to bring the gospel message to the lost. And as they start getting saved, you know what happens? The nation becomes a Christian nation once again. That's the key. It's not who's in Washington. It's who's in the heart of each and every person in America. And we've lost that today. We become entertainment centers where we like to entertain the people in the church. Instead of bringing them the gospel message as the lost are coming in. Or building them up in the faith, helping them to grow and mature in the faith by teaching them verse by verse through the Bible. Right now, we have to use our liberty in Christ by showing love towards people. Let them see what Jesus is doing in our lives, what he has done in our lives. Again, this is in our home. We're we're passing through. We're here for a short period of time. Let's shine for Jesus. Again, you know, I've used this a lot last time, but where Christ is, there is hope. That's all I need. You know, when I, oh gosh, it's probably been, what, um, 15 years ago? We were in another building at Calvary Chapel of Manitowoc. We were renting it. And we had just fixed it up, spent thousands and thousands of dollars. We didn't really have anything left in the bank account. And it, it looked really nice. It was all fixed up. Everything was great. New carpeting. We had chairs, new chairs. And the day before we were doing, or I think it was the night we were going to do the concert in Washington Park, Christian concert, the owner that we were renting this building from came up to me and said, the flower gallery wants to use, wants your building that you're renting. They want to expand. And I said, well, we just put all this money into it. We just fixed it up. He said, well, if you could pay, I think it was 2000 or $2,200 a month that they're going to pay him, then we could have it. We were paying $800 a month, and that was tight. I'm like, well, we can't do that said, well, you have to be out. And it was like in a month. But he would let us use the upstairs of the building for our church services and continue using it for the Sunday school. And so, you know, me being this great man of faith was like, oh, my gosh. Now we've got to do a concert tonight. Uh, so I was, you know, Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. And I'm moping around, you know, and just, oh, it's just devastated. I didn't know what we were going to do. 
And one of the ladies from our church, Diane, I was explaining to her, you know, we put all this money in, and then he says we we got to move out, and what, I don't know what we're going to do. It's just, oh, it's just bad. And she looked at me. She goes, I wonder what God's going to do. And you know, it's like God taking a two-by-four and smacking you over the back of the head, or as my mama, my Italian mama would do, she'd go smack and you know, I'm 62 years old. She still smacks me on the back of the head. I go, what's that for? Just because. Okay, thanks, Mom. And that's what God did to me. I wonder what he's going to do through all this. How is this going to happen? We had just gotten approval for a radio station from the FCC. Now we have no building. What are we going to do? And God gave us a building and a spot to put the radio station. That's what God was going to do. I had lost sight. Because I lost the reality where Christ is, there is hope. Where is Christ? He's with us. So there's hope in each and every one of you. So we covered the hardest part, government. Now we go to our bosses. Oh, that's still tough. (laughs) Look at verse 18. Where Peter said this, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongly. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer for it, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So Peter's saying we are to be submissive to our masters or boss, not only when they treat us kindly, when they're good to us, but even when they treat us harshly, unfairly. I don't like that. I know. God says we are to submit to those who are in authority over us. And by our actions, our love, it could open a door to share your faith, see your boss or other co-workers come to Christ. This is what it's about, living what you say you believe, sharing your faith. I know and I guess I could just speak for myself. Personally, the flesh is ready to fight when someone comes against us, right? I mean, it doesn't take much, and the flesh is ready to respond. But you know what? Submit to God, and he will work through you. Be in obedience to him. Clark said, it appears from this that the poor Christians, and especially those who have been converted to Christianity in a state of slavery, were often grievously abused. They were buffeted because they were Christians and because they would not join with their masters in idolatrous worship. Yeah, unfair, but if they come to Christ, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. As hard as that is, Peter knew it was going to be tough. So you know what he does? He pulls out the Jesus trump card. Look at verse 21. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin nor was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. As much as I don't like the fact that if someone's treating me harshly, I need to love them. Treating me unfairly, I need to love them. Peter says, look what Jesus did, and he was perfect. There was no sin in him. And they came against him. And he could have wiped them out, right? He could have just sent one angel and would have been enough. Or he could have done it himself. So as we suffer for righteousness, again, not suffering for being obnoxious or being a pest or whatever, but suffering for righteousness People are watching how we respond in those situations. I'm so thankful that my God loves me and is showing me these things that I need to change in my life. 
Because I think our days are short here on this earth. I think the Lord is coming back soon. Well, what if it's another 50 years? Well, then I'll be with him before then. Either way, it's a win. But people are dying every single day not knowing the Lord. And Peter speaks of example here, that Jesus is our example. And the idea in the Greek is a piece of paper placed over something you want it to trace so the original can be duplicated. We place our lives over Jesus that we may pattern our life after him. Yeah, I can't do that on my own. No, but by the power of God's spirit, he is enabling me or helping me to live that way. By whose stripes we've been healed. Now, I know some people feel the healing is a physical healing, but think about it. Think about the faith teachers that tell us you just got to have enough faith and you're going to be healed and all that. How long do they live? 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years. Has anyone, any of the faith teachers lived to be 150? No, I guess they don't have enough faith. No, that's just not what it's talking about. We're healed from sin. Does God still heal physically? He absolutely does. But eventually we're going to die and be with him or raptured in the church. The greatest gift God has given us is eternal life with him through his son, Jesus Christ. We have been healed. You know, when the, do you understand that in a positional sense, when the father looks at us, he sees us as perfect, as white as snow. We know in a practical sense, we're not like the fresh snow that falls. It's three, four, five days later when it's dirty, right? That's, a, that's us that God is working on. That's in a practical daily. But positionally, he already sees the finished product. And before we were saved, Peter says, you were, you were like sheep going astray. But now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And the interesting thing, you know, there's a lot of bright animals, smart animals out there. Dogs are pretty smart. Most of them, not all of them, but most of them. But God says you're like sheep. They're kind of the dumbest animals. They can't, they need a shepherd. They can't even protect themselves. I mean, have you ever heard of killer sheep? I mean, I think there was a, a, a horror movie called, you know, with killer sheep in it. And it was pretty funny. But there's, in reality, no, there's no such thing as killer sheep. So we need a shepherd to watch over us, to protect us. What a wonderful shepherd we have. He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. He takes us to the plateau where we can lie down because we're at peace and we could be refreshed up there. And then he takes us back into the valley where we learn more in that valley of the shadow of death. What God has done for us is amazing, guys. He redeemed us. He justified us. He reconciled us. He's our propitiation for our sins. If Jesus did all that for me, Lord, help me to live for you, that I can glorify you. And I realize, again, this whole thing with submission is a tough one. But imagine if Jesus didn't submit to the Father, where we'd be today, still lost in our sins. But he submitted to the will of the Father. He completed the work he was sent to do. And we are to follow his example as a servant, submitting our lives to him and living as he's called us to live. So it just takes dying to self. Not building self up. I know in our society today, that's a big thing. We ought to build self up. You have to have a good self-esteem. That's my problem. I have too big of a self-esteem. I need to die to self and let Christ live in me. We have to have that perspective, guys, and glorify our Father in heaven by all that we do because as dark as this world gets, think about it. It's going to get darker because that's what the Bible says. We're going to shine brighter. You think about it in a pitch black room you just turn on a light 
and you could see it forever. That's what we're to do in these dark days. Not run from the battles, but be led by God because where Christ is, there is hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you. These words are just, to me, they're appropriate for me today. In the days we're living in, I need to be reminded of this over and over because it's so easy to let the flesh get the better of me and to respond in an ungodly way. Lord, I want to live for you. I want people to see Jesus, not me. I want them to see how much I love you. And I want to see many come into the kingdom of God. Thank you for your patience. Thank you that you're going to complete the work you started in each of us, Lord. And may we again live for you. You are almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, and nothing is too difficult for you. And nothing is out of control, but it's all falling into place. We just need to walk accordingly. Thank you, Jesus. And may you guide us in the days we're living in. In Jesus' name, amen.